Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Very much indeed. Uh, I must say, after an introduction like that, I can't wait to hear what I'm going to say. <laughs> but <laughs> thank you very, very much, Barnabas. That was great. And maybe afterwards you tell me who Roy Rogers and Dale Evans are. <laughs> You know, I'm more familiar with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. <laughs> May I be forgiven. <laughs> Used to be Flash Gordon when I went to the flicks, but anyway, we won't go down there. Um, wasn't it great to hear that Balamina accent this morning from Billy? Thank you, Billy. But I wonder, could I say something to you? You know, don't be surprised if the Lord calls you from Dublin to Cavan, where we live. Because when we moved to Cavan nine years ago, I didn't know until we went there that Cavan people in the Republic of Ireland have the reputation that Balamina people have in Northern Ireland. And you all know, maybe for the benefit of those who are here from Cuba and Greece, I should explain that in Northern Ireland, people from Balamina have a reputation for being a wee bit tight with money. Like the Scots, you know. I mean... I've heard that a Balamina man is a Scotsman with the generosity squeezed out of him, you know. (laughs) I don't agree with that. (laughs) Because half of my blood is Balamina, you see. My mother was Balamina. But why I say maybe God will call you to Cavan, Billy, is because of this link, you see, between Cavan and Balamina. Let me illustrate it. A couple of years ago, this young man came up to me in County Cavan, and he said, Bishop, do you know how a group of Cavan men keep warm? I said, I haven't a clue. He said, we gather around a candle. (laughs) And he said, when it gets really, really, really cold, we light it. (laughs) So anyway, you're in for a treat tonight listening to the Balamina man ministering in Dublin. And Kim, it was lovely to hear your Shankill Road accent too. Because one of my heroes in life is a man called Bill Benson. Canon Bill Benson. And actually just before we left Coleraine to move to Cavan, uh, I conducted his funeral service and buried him. He was in his 99th year. And a wonderful man of God. And I remember one day I went in to visit him in Coleraine Hospital and he he was sitting on a chair just beside the bed and he was laughing away to himself. There was nobody else around. I said, Bill, what are you laughing at today? Well, he said, Ken, he said, I have just remembered something that I have forgotten for years. I said, what's that, Bill? Well, he said, in the Second World War, I was ministering on the Shankill Road in Belfast. And he said, the air sirens went off. Now, I don't remember these things. I wasn't born then, but one or two here might just remember. He said, the air air raid sirens went off, and we had to go into the air raid shelters. And he said, we were just settling down in this air raid shelter when this woman said, I'll have to go back home. I've forgotten my tape. (laughs) Now, for the benefit of those who couldn't understand that, She said, I will have to return home because I've forgotten my teeth. To which someone else in the area said, (laughs) 
Would you sit down, love? Do you think the Germans are dropping sandwiches? (laughs) So I tell you, there's great humor on the Shankill Road, and it's been there for a long, long time. So I don't know what we're going to hear today with a Balamina man and a girl from the Shankill Road and... Anyway, on and on we'll go. And Trevor, of course, too. Trevor, I don't know much about you to tell anything about you, but uh, it's okay. <laughs> I'm sure you're probably relieved. <laughs> anyway, for those who were here yesterday, you will know that we were looking at a church in Antioch. And that this week, we are looking in our Bible readings at uh, models of mission for the 21st century. And in the first two days, we looked at two individuals, Epaphras and Archippus. And then yesterday and today, we're looking at a church, which I submit to you is a wonderful model for mission. So turn with me again, please, to Acts chapter 11. And the first few verses in Acts chapter 13 as well. And in Acts chapter 11, we begin at verse 19. And may God just speak to us through his word as we um, read these verses, which tell us something about this remarkable church, this mission-hearted church in that great city of Antioch. Acts eleven nineteen. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, and he encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. I wonder could I just pause there? I hadn't intended to say this, but actually I think it needs to be said. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad. I know this may surprise some of you, but I know churches and people gather together in the prayer meetings to pray for growth and pray for people to be converted, pray for new people to join. And you know, when God starts answering those prayers, they can't cope with it. Because their nose is put out. And these new Christians arrive and they maybe see things a little bit differently. And do you know what happens? There's holy war in the church. For those who are in church leadership, one of the best books I've read in the last two years is a book called Who Stole My Church? Written by Gordon MacDonald. And it's written for those who love their church but they can't cope with seeing it moving into the 21st century. A remarkable book, a brilliant book. 
And I, and I say this intentionally because I hope and pray there's nobody here who would be praying for the growth of their church and praying that people will be converted and be added to the church. And then when they start coming, the hackles get up and the gossip starts. And we can't really cope with it. Because, you know, as you know, if you've had children, when babies arrive in a place, it's a bit messy. Bit noisy, isn't it? Bit smelly. Things aren't just as tidy and orderly as they used to be. But that's life, folks. And when we're born again, we're spiritual babes. And sometimes I think we forget that. And here's another mark. I mean, we could spend a morning looking at just Barnabas. What was Barnabas' reaction when he saw this growth in the church in Antioch? He was glad. He rejoiced. And he encouraged them. And that's your role and mine. And particularly as we get older, we have a ministry from God of encouragement of the younger folks and encouragement of the new believers. More about that in a few moments. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. He certainly was. Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And is it surprising then that we read... And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This they did. They didn't just talk about it. They didn't just think about it. They did it. Sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Then if you just turn over the page with me, please, to Acts 13. Just the first three verses of Acts chapter 13. We're still in the church in Antioch. In the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. That's what we looked at yesterday. While they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. One of the great qualities of this church in Antioch is that they cared for new Christians. They cared for new Christians. And that has to be one of the models for mission in the 21st century. After all, Jesus said, make disciples. He didn't say get decisions. Of course, making the most important decision of our life can be part of becoming a disciple of Jesus. But 
the whole emphasis of Jesus is on discipleship. Follow me. And when we do, a whole journey of faith begins that will last for all eternity. And I think in Barnabas here, we have a wonderful model of how we're to function as a church, and particularly those of us who have been Christians longer than some of the others, as Barnabas had. Here he is going from Jerusalem to see what's happening in Antioch, but look at his attitude. So winsome, so holy, so Christ-like. Is it any wonder Barnabas is known as the son of encouragement? He arrived, he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad, he rejoiced, and he spoke words of encouragement to them all. What a model for you and for I. I wonder as we grow older, are we becoming more encouraging people? Or are we becoming more discouraging people? In the first parish I served in, which was Marilyn, and I was there from 1972 to 75, I'll never forget an elderly lady I used to visit. Mrs. McMaster was her name, a widow. Do you know, I came out of her little pensioner's bungalow every time, without exception, feeling as if I'd just been at a Keswick convention. Honestly. She was such an encourager, a humble little faithful servant of the Lord, living on her pension. Every time I went to visit her, her weekly offering would be sitting in an envelope on the mantelpiece because she tithed her pension. And she loved Jesus and it showed. And what an encourager she was. And I can tell you, that meant so much. And it still does. And in this church in Antioch, they cared for new believers. They encouraged new believers. How many young Christians go along to a church hoping to find fellowship and friendship and encouragement? Instead, they're... There was a young man in the United States converted. Bill was his name. He was at college, university. He had something I will never have, long hair. He would wear a dirty old sweatshirt, blue jeans with holes in them, and frequently he walked around in bare feet. After his conversion, he thought I'd better go to a church. So he went across to this huge big church, just across from the college where he was a student. And he went in, the service had started, it was packed with well-dressed people. He'd never been in the church before. He didn't know what to do, and nobody gave him a seat. So there was an aisle in the middle, and he just walked up the aisle. In his blue jeans with holes in them, and his sweatshirt, long hair, bare feet. And you could hear people saying, Isn't that a disgrace? Coming along to church dressed like that. That's appalling. You could hear all this going round the church. And the pastor was just about to preach at the end of this hymn that people were singing. Just before he preached, by this time, this young lad, Bill, had walked right to the front and he was sitting cross-legged on the carpet at the front. And at that moment, an elderly man in his 80s at the back of the church stood up. And he walked slowly up the aisle. He had had to use a walking stick to, to, to walk. 
And he, as he was walking up, there were people in the congregation saying, Good on you. Go and give him what he needs to hear. Tell him off for coming in like that. Do you know what the old man did? When he got up to the front, he dropped a stick to the ground. And he got down on the carpet himself and sat beside Bill. A Barnabas. An encourager. And the pastor said, you'll probably forget the sermon I'm about to preach. You'll never forget the sermon you've just seen. That was Antioch, folks. That was Barnabas. Here is a church that cared for new believers. Please remember that aftercare is just as important as delivery care because the command of Jesus is that we make disciples. I wonder is the reason why some churches see so few conversions. I wonder is the reason actually because we're not prepared for the aftercare. I sometimes think, you know, God's like an adoption agency. And he'll only place his new children where he knows they're going to be cared for. And I wonder is the fellowship of the church you and I are a part of, like Antioch, in that we prioritize caring for new Christians. In Antioch, these new Christians were absorbed into the life of the church and positively encouraged to go on in their life in Christ. What was it Barnabas said? He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. The building up of Christians. That's a missionary church. That's a church that has a heart for mission because it's a church that's welcoming new Christians and nurturing and making disciples. Secondly, they cared for needy Christians. Look at those last few verses in Acts chapter 11. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem, and clearly they had a gift of prophetic utterance. This would have been a gift from the Lord, and one of them specifically is mentioned in verse 28, Agabus. And he stood up and he proclaimed, declared, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he predicted that a severe famine would spread right across the Roman world. And as Luke tells us in, in my version of the Bible, and I'm using the New International Version, this is in brackets. So the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, St. Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, tells us this actually happened. This famine that Agabus predicted happened during the reign of Claudius. He was a true prophet. And Claudius was the Roman emperor in the Roman Empire from A.D. 41 to A.D. 54. So the famine must have happened sometime around that time. And we know from the historical records that there was a succession of bad harvests during the reign of Claudius. And there was severe famine in various parts of the Roman world. So what we're hearing here that I think is so important. It's not just a revelation which God gave through the prophet, but what I find even more fascinating is actually the reaction 
of the church. Look at verse 29. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. We got the picture. Famine in Judea. Brothers starving. The church in Antioch decides we're going to help them. And so they dig deep in their pockets. They give according to their ability. And the gifts they give are delivered with elders to the believers in Judea. Now, just think of what those Christians in Antioch could have said. They could have said, ah, those Christians down in Judea, they'll manage somehow. They'll kind of pull through. God will provide for them. But they said, no, we want to give. They really cared. And maybe some of them could have thought, you know, their theology down there in Jerusalem and Judea, it's a wee bit wonky. It's not quite, you know, they don't quite see things the way some of us Greeks do. So why bother? Not so. They really cared. They loved God. They loved others. They showed their love and care by the setting up of a relief fund, if you like, for their brethren. Clearly they gave generously and they sent the gift. Folks, that's real Christian love. Caring for the poor and the needy. Caring for those suffering from famine and hunger and starvation. That's part of mission in every century, be it the first or the 21st. Going back to Sunday night when we saw that Jesus cares for the whole person, the body as well as the soul, Antioch is modeling what Jesus modeled. Caring for their bodies as well as their souls. And brothers and sisters, if the church of Jesus Christ doesn't care for the poor and the needy, it's a false faith. Read First John. Read the epistle of James. Listen to the teaching of Jesus. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Leighton Ford once said that in the United States of America, the two most frequently asked questions are, how can I lose weight? And secondly, where can I park my car? Imagine how those two questions sound in the ears of a God who sees the dying in Ethiopia, who hears the cries of the refugees, who feels the hunger pains of the starving. Tell me this, if I asked you, what was the greatest sin of Sodom? Often referred to as Sodom and Gomorrah, I suspect most of us would say it was sin in the sexual area. What does the prophet Ezekiel say about Sodom? Just listen. He says, the sin of Sodom, and I quote, the people were arrogant, overfed, and unconcerned. They do not care for the poor and the needy. Arrogant, overfed, unconcerned. 
Is it any wonder God's judgment fell on Sodom and Gomorrah? And I wonder, we who are part of the body of Christ in the Western world, how near are we to the sins of arrogance and being overfed and being actually unconcerned? More concerned about the number of cc's we have under the bonnet of our car, the number of square inches on our brand new television, than we are about the cries and the shrieks of the poor and the needy. God hears them. God loves them. And the Christians in Antioch loved the poor and the needy. And part of our mission in the 21st century is to show our love for Jesus and for God by caring for the people he loves. I was in a church a couple of years ago. It was, I suppose, they didn't call it this, but It was a little bit like their annual general meeting, I suppose. It was here in Northern Ireland, and they decided to have, as a church fellowship, a dinner together, which was a wonderful evening, and then there was a kind of report given in the church. That particular year, the income of that church had been £107,000. Do you know how much they'd given to mission? Over 90000 out of £107,000. And I was deeply moved that night when I heard from one of the church members that, do you remember the tsunami a couple of years ago uh, in Asia? Uh, If I remember correctly, it was just after Christmas or around Christmas time. Well, this church had links with a missionary family who were serving in Asia, and they were serving in a part that had been badly hit by the tsunami. And like this church in Antioch, this church in Northern Ireland decided they would give of their ability and they would send gifts, their gifts to this missionary family in Asia. And they sent this very generous gift with some instructions. And the instruction was this, that the missionary family of the church they were a part of there were to buy three fishing boats for three fishermen who had completely lost their fishing business in the tsunami. And as you know, not only were lives lost, but businesses were lost. And many fishermen in those coastal areas were completely wiped out, their boats destroyed. That was their livelihood. So this church said, we want you to buy three boats, and we want you to buy uh, boats for two believers. So two believers would get a boat each. And somebody who isn't a believer... We want you to buy them a boat as well. Do you know what happened? Two Christians, they got their fishing boats, couldn't get over it. Through the generosity of these Christians in Northern Ireland. The man who wasn't a Christian at all, I don't know what religion he was, but it certainly wasn't Christian. He was astounded that local Christians would give him a fishing boat. Do you know his first time out in it, He caught a fish that was so big, it was the equivalent of a month's catch. And you know what he said? There must be a God. And he was converted. Hallelujah. See, that's what happens 
When Christians in churches today, like the Christians in the church in Antioch, are moved with compassion and care for the poor and the needy, it's amazing what God will do. So a model for mission in the 21st century is that we care for needy people and needy Christians. Another mark of this church is that they prioritized teaching. Just look again at Acts chapter 11. We see quite clearly that Barnabas came along to teach. And then in verse 25, we read this. Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now, I wonder why he brought Saul. Well, here we have the answer. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Teaching. What did Jesus say, the risen Jesus, to Simon Peter after they'd had breakfast together? You remember on that beach, the shorelines of the Sea of Galilee, feed my sheep. Teaching is a priority in a mission-minded church. Bible teaching, that is. Not sharing our own opinions and views, but releasing God's word so that his people are built up and mobilized for mission. Imagine the privilege of having Saul and Barnabas teaching for a whole year. Wow. I'd love to have heard some of their teaching and what they said. Look at Acts 13. We're told in those first few verses in the church in Antioch, in verse 1, there were prophets and teachers Teaching was a priority. Now remember, particularly for these people who who were Greeks who'd been converted, Jewish customs were totally new to them. They didn't have the Old Testament background that those who'd been Jews had when they began to follow Jesus. They hadn't been part of a worship in a synagogue where they'd heard the Old Testament scriptures read and taught over the years. So they had a lot to think through. They had a lot to learn. They had a lot to learn about Jesus. They had a lot to learn about God's mission. They had a lot to learn about the way God works. This was new territory for so many of them. And so Barnabas and Saul taught them and encouraged them. What did Paul say writing to the Colossians? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And I suggest to you that one of the greatest and most pressing needs in the worldwide church today is that the Word of God is taught, explained, expounded, and applied in a life-related and life-impacting way. We cannot have teaching that is dry and dusty and not related to life. That's no good. The scriptures relate to what happens in the office tomorrow morning when some of you are in your office. The scriptures relate to how we relate to one another as a family. The scriptures teach us as to how we relate to one another as a husband and a wife, as parents to kids, as friends to friends, as brothers and sisters in a church. They are so life-related. And we live in a world that is increasingly ignorant of biblical truth and biblical values, devoid of biblical knowledge and unaware of God's unique revelation. It is not going over the top 
to say that the words of Amos apply to us today. There is a famine of hearing the words of God or the words of the Lord. And if ever ministries of faithful Bible teaching that's life-related was needed, it is needed now. And in Antioch, they had that kind of ministry. And you and I need to pray that we have more and more of that kind of Bible teaching ministry right across this island of Ireland and across the world. Someone said there's a problem of malnutrition at the heart of the church today. They were talking about spiritual malnutrition. If you ever watch any of the quiz programs on television, how often, if there is a question relating to something in the Bible, people don't know the answer? I couldn't tell you the number of times people have said to me, Oh, but the Bible says charity begins at home. Where does the Bible say charity begins at home? Could somebody show me, please? It doesn't say that at all. And yet there's so many people here in Northern Ireland, oh, don't be giving to the Charity begins at home. The Bible doesn't say that at all. Wonderful things in the Bible I see, some of them put there by you and by me. This ignorance of biblical teaching, I think, was illustrated in quite a humorous way in the following article I came across. You need to know your Bible to understand this. I'm assuming you do. The young pastor was being interviewed for a job. An older deacon asked him, How well do you know your Bible, son? Oh, really well, the young man replied. And I'll tell you, I'll show you, I'll tell you the story of the prodigal son. So this is what the older deacon heard. I quote, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went to Jericho by night. He fell upon stony ground, and the thorns choked him half to death. The next morning, Solomon and his wife, Gomorrah, came by, and they took him down to the ark so that Moses could care for him. But as he was going through the eastern gate toward the ark, his hair was caught in a limb, and he hung there 40 days and 40 nights. Afterwards, he was hungry, and so the ravens came and fed him. The next day, three wise men came and carried him down to the boat dock where he caught a ship to Nineveh. When he got there, he saw Delilah sitting on a wall. Like, this is the story of the prodigal son, folks. And then Nicodemus said, throw her down off the wall. And the wise man said, how many times will we throw her down? Seven times seven? And Nicodemus replied, no, 70 times seven. And so they threw her down 490 times. She burst asunder in their midst and they picked up 12 baskets of fragments. <laughs> My question is, whose wife will she be in the resurrection? <laughs> the elderly deacon said to the other deacons, Friends, I think we ought to call him. <laughs> He's awfully young, but he sure knows his Bible. Hey? <laughs> it's funny, but actually it's a tragic reality, isn't it? The ignorance that exists of the word of God. Those words in Second Chronicles chapter 15 verse 3. For a long time Israel was without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law 
And I wonder as God looks at his church today, does he see churches where, quite frankly, there's no teaching, a few blessed thoughts, a few inspirational ideas, and that's about it. Thank God Antioch wasn't like that. Here we see a group of Christians well taught. And please pray that as we move further into the 21st century, we'll see more and more churches with life-related Bible teaching. The church in Antioch also cared for those who had never heard of Jesus. Acts 13 Verse 2, while they were worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now folks, just let that sink in a moment. Some of you are here, I'm quite sure, from churches where you have very gifted leaders, very gifted teachers. How would you feel if next Sunday they said, we're moving on. Honestly. Oh, come on. What can we do to get you to stay? Oh, we couldn't go on without you. We really appreciate your teaching. What are we going to do? Now remember, Barnabas and Saul were two of the most gifted leaders in this church in Antioch. And here during this time of worship, the Lord speaks into the hearts of the people in this church, I want you to release Barnabas and Saul. They're to head off on mission. And look at verse 3. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. Wow. I tell you, what a sacrifice. But you see, that church was a mission-minded, mission-hearted church. They cared for people who had never heard of Jesus. And so they sent Barnabas and Saul out to share the good news with people who had never heard of Jesus. And as you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you will see that Paul and Barnabas came back to tell the church in Antioch of the wonderful things God had done on what we now call that first great missionary journey. And notice, it started in worship, the missionary journey. Worship without mission is self-indulgent. And mission without worship is self-defeating. I'll repeat that. Worship without mission is self-indulgent. And mission without worship is self-defeating. What a church this is in Antioch. They were so passionate that people who had never heard of Jesus would hear of Jesus. That they were willing to release their two most gifted teachers. And I believe there's a principle at work here. In giving, we receive. I believe... As that church gave, so they received. And that's a wonderful Jesus principle. So that's how the first great missionary journey began. And folks, as we were reminded this morning, incidentally, this photograph, which is the backdrop to this slide, does anybody know where that photograph comes from? 
I'll tell you, a couple of years ago, Helen and I had the privilege of being in Chicago, and uh, Helen's youngest brother had trained at the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago quite a few years ago, and he showed us around the place. And when you go into the foyer of the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, there's this world globe sitting there in the middle of the foyer. And underneath it, can you read those words? Yeah. Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father. Those words of Jesus from Matthew 28. And then, lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. And Moody Bible Institute is there because of the passion that D.L. Moody had for the Lord Jesus. For his passion for making disciples. For his pa- because of his passion and love for those who had never heard of Jesus. And so the great work of the Moody Institute began. Here in Northern Ireland, as we've just heard this morning, there are thousands who have never heard of Jesus as Savior and Lord. Oh yes, they might know him about him as a name they hear in a swear word. They really don't know much about him. It's exactly the same in the Republic of Ireland. Some years ago, this was a poster campaign in England. Isn't it harrowing? Isn't it sobering? John Sutton went to church for the first time last week. How did he go? It was his funeral. There are many, many John Suttons in the streets and country lanes of Ireland and across the world. And they need to hear about Jesus. And the church in Antioch had that vision. I wonder, is that vision yours and mine? I want to finish where I started. Why was the church in Antioch like this? Why did they care for new Christians? Why did they care for needy Christians? Why was this a teaching church? Why was this a church that was so committed to mission? Why was this a church that cared for people who had never heard of Jesus? Well, it's because they loved Jesus with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They lived for Christ. That's why they were first called Christians, disciples of Jesus, called Christians, Christians first in Antioch, because Jesus Christ was at the center of their lives. He was the love of their lives and their hearts. And as I finish this morning, honestly, is that where we are? That in our hearts there is such a love for Jesus Christ that we are willing to be the people he wants us to be. I mentioned one of my heroes this morning. Let me mention another. His name was Harry Sutton. He may have preached at this convention in the past. I don't know, but he was a wonderful man. Like Barnabas, he was such an encourager of missionaries and pastors and teachers and people he met. And Harry Sutton when he was getting older, discovered he'd a growth in his vocal cords. Within 48 hours, he was in Guy's Hospital in London. He was told that he had to have an operation, and as a consequence of this operation on his vocal cords, he may never speak again. Now, folks, that may not mean a lot to some here, but can I tell you, for a preacher and a Bible teacher, 
there's probably little worse you could hear. Never speak again. And Harry had his operation, and for 14 weeks after it, he couldn't utter a word. It appeared his preaching ministry was now at an end. He said to me, he said, I was feeling a little depressed. His wife, her name was Olive. And he said to Olive one day, because he had to write everything down, he couldn't speak. He wrote down, would she come out to the back garden with him? They sat down in a chair in the back garden and he wrote on the little writing tablet, Olive, I'm going to pray this prayer and I want you to kneel down and pray it with me. And this is the prayer he prayed, and I quote, Heavenly Father, for over 50 years, you have had my preaching. It now looks like you're never going to have it anymore. But I'm happy to tell you that you've got the preacher. And if I can glorify you in my silence, as eloquently as I've tried to do with my noise, I'll be greatly honored. So, Father, you've had the preaching, and now you have the preacher. Brothers and sisters, does that same God have you? Not just your Sunday worship, Sunday by Sunday, but you, me. Are we so in love with Christ and so surrendered to him that he doesn't just have our things, but he has our heart and mind and soul? Because when he does, we're mission-minded people living in a mission-hearted way, bringing glory to God the Father and honor to the name of Jesus. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you gave Harry Sutton back his voice and he did preach and teach again. And I want to thank you this morning for the way you work in different lives. And thank you for speaking to us this week. And Lord, I pray that you will so fill our hearts with love for you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That we will go out from here today and 24-7 be filled with a desire to be more like Jesus. Lead us, we pray, and use us as you will. Lord Jesus, you have us. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Amen.
We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.